Sportsnet.com. The energy. So the barber trims my beard all nice, like an artist. Now, I didn't tell him to do that. I wanted the beard gone. So then I went home and shaved it off completely after I was done. I felt horrible. The passion. Rafael Devers is the biggest contract in franchise history. He needs to be a leader for this Red Sox team. The opinions on all your favorite team. Are the Patriots close to playoff contention? Yes. Are they close to Super Bowl contention? Hell no. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB-AM, FM, and WDEBradio.com. What's up, everybody? Happy Monday here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Hope you all had a great weekend. I know I did. It was a busy weekend full of a lot of local sports CBS stuff. News Brief. We don't need that. Those of you who saw high school basketball action at the Barry Auditorium on the girls' side, you were treated to a couple of treats. I was at Patrick Jim Saturday night and Sunday afternoon for UVM men and women's basketball. Those were fun games to watch. I'll talk to you about some of my takeaways from Catamount Hoops. Norwich University men and women's hockey both get to the NCAA tournament. Their head coach on the women's side, Sophie LeClaire, is going to be with us briefly at the end of the show today. That's all that local stuff wrapped up and a bunch of regional stuff as well. Patriots talk from the NFL Combine with our guy, Zach Cox, the Pats insider over at Nesson. Lots to get to. We're on for a full 90 minutes. More high school basketball coming up later today at 8 o'clock. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And here we go. You can get on... You can get in, by the way, on the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. Your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. And the opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center. Locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. The show is brought to you by Fecto Homes. Let's start with the Patriots. Again, we got a lot of local stuff today, but let's start with the Pats. The report is out from Jeremy Fowler of ESPN that the Las Vegas Raiders could really make a run at trading for Mac Jones, right? We've speculated on it. We've wondered it. Now we've got it in writing. Here is what Fowler writes. If the Raiders can't get Aaron Rodgers, a lot of people at the Combine this week expect Josh McDaniels and GM Dave Ziegler to pursue free agent quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo, who they know from their time in New England early in his career. There's also some chatter that McDaniels might try to acquire Mac Jones from the Patriots, though it seems unlikely New England would consider moving him. So there's a lot of different pieces there, right? The Raiders want Aaron Rodgers. If they can't get him, they're going to pivot to Jimmy Garoppolo. They could also look at Mac Jones but the Pats seem unlikely to move Mac Jones. There's all the different moving parts that you need to know about. I'm going to maintain the same thing that I have been saying for weeks on this. If I were the Las Vegas Raiders, if I were Josh McDaniels, I wouldn't be thinking about trying to acquire Mac Jones. We keep hearing it. We keep wondering about it, and I wonder why. If I'm Josh McDaniels, I am not going after Mac Jones. If I am the Raiders, I want Aaron Rodgers. It's that simple. But if I can't get Aaron Rodgers, 
I would take Jimmy Garoppolo. That all makes sense. But Mac Jones is way down the list of quarterback solutions that I'd want in 2023 if I were the Las Vegas Raiders. I'd rather sign Geno Smith to a $35 million a year contract than trade for Mac Jones. Heck, I would rather trade up in the draft and take a rookie in a lot of cases than try to trade for Mac Jones. The Raiders, while they are certainly always kind of a dumpster fire, the Raiders were a playoff team just two years ago. The Raiders have Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro and Devontae Adams, and they've just franchise tagged Josh Jacobs. The Raiders have elite offensive weapons. If you are moving on from Derek Carr, you should be moving on to a guy that can take those pieces and elevate them, that should that can take those pieces and make a Super Bowl run. You should not be trying to acquire a quarterback in Mac Jones who was broken this past year and who is clearly, in my mind, not better than Derek Carr. Right? If you're getting rid of Derek Carr, you got to bring in somebody who is better or more accomplished than Derek Carr, and Mac Jones is neither of those things. Aaron Rodgers is the guy, right? He is better than Derek Carr and more accomplished than Carr. He's choice one. Jimmy Garoppolo, I don't know if he's better than Derek Carr, but he at least has the cachet of having been to a Super Bowl. I could sell my my fan base on that. I don't think I can sell Mac Jones to my fan base. I don't know that I can sell Mac Jones to my locker room. We're still not sure what Mac Jones is. And if I'm Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler, I am not hitching my wagon to Mac Jones, that's for sure. Like, we think that Mac can be good with good weapons, which the Raiders have, but I still don't know that for a fact. I don't want to be, if I'm the Raiders, I don't want to be the testing ground for Mac Jones to prove that he's any good. Let the Patriots be that. I I just, I don't get it. Now, Mac is cheap. That's true. That's a better, that's a thing that he has over Derek Carr. It would be nice to have payroll flexibility, but come on. With that roster in the AFC, if I'm the Raiders... I need better than Mac Jones. I need more accomplished than Mac Jones. I need more confident than Mac Jones. Mac Jones, to me, I don't know what he is now. If I'm the Raiders, I need somebody who knows what they are, who I know what they are. I'm trying to compete in the same division as Patrick Mahomes and as Justin Herbert and and a probably revamped Russell Wilson. I can't be competing there with Mac Jones. I just can't. 802-585-3026. Yeah, Will says Mac Jones in the AFC West, not an upgrade. Of course it's not an upgrade. And I'm certainly not giving up assets to bring Mac Jones into that. Right? It's one thing if you want to sign Jimmy Garoppolo. It's another if you want to sign Geno Smith. I'm not trying to give up assets to bring Mac Jones to be the fourth best quarterback in that division. I'm not doing it. Interesting text. Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. This one's from Vance in Jeffersonville. Brady, if the Patriots had all those weapons you just outlined, wouldn't you be saying they could compete with Mac Jones? Why do you think Mac couldn't get it done with the Raiders with all those same weapons? It is a fair question. And you're right, by the way. Vance, you're right. If the Patriots had the weapons that I just outlined, 
I'd feel pretty good about the Patriots. But the situations at hand are entirely different. One, the Raiders are moving off of a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback who is the face of their franchise for nearly a decade. If I am doing that, I have to bring in somebody once again who is clearly better or is clearly more accomplished. Mac Jones is neither of those things. Right? Aaron Rodgers is clearly better and more accomplished than Derek Carr. Jimmy Garoppolo is more accomplished than Derek Carr. Geno Smith just showed us recency bias here in play that he's pretty darn good. Right? So recency bias is that Geno Smith is very is a very good quarterback. All three of those guys are guys I would rather have than Mac Jones. Mac Jones hasn't shown me anything recently. And he certainly hasn't shown me that he's better than Derek Carr. The only thing that he is is cheaper than Derek Carr. And I also said, by the way, in a lot of situations, I'd rather draft a QB if I were the Raiders than trade for Mac Jones. Now, a drafted quarterback likely isn't better than Mac, at least not right away. But I have a drafted quarterback for five years where I only have Mac for three at this point. So I, Mac Jones is way down the list for me if I'm the Raiders. Way down the list. I, I would not want to be doing that. I mean, Josh McDaniels is barely hanging on as a head coach. He almost got fired last year. If I'm him, I don't want to be making too many questionable moves. And Mac Jones is a questionable move. At least Aaron Rodgers and Jimmy Garoppolo are known commodities. At least Geno Smith has this year in hand where he can sit there and say, hey, I played really darn good, and you can point to the tape and say, that guy's good. Mac, I, 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 I don't have that. I mean, if I'm McDaniels, that's about the last thing I want to do. If I'm the Patriots, I'd feel good if they had the Raiders situation, but one, they don't, and two, the Raiders are in a different frame, I think, than the Patriots. Tex says, Brady, I'm horribly confused. You sang the praises several months ago for Mac Jones. I did? Now I'm confused. Wasn't I the guy who said on draft night, I wanted the Patriots to draft Justin Fields? Wasn't I the guy who said I wanted the Patriots to get a mobile quarterback and they didn't draft one? Wasn't I the guy who wanted Cam Newton to be the starter over Mac Jones? Wasn't I the guy who has told you over and over again that Mac Jones isn't special? Wasn't I the guy who's told you over and over again that Mac Jones isn't a guy who, you know, if this were a Madden rating, Mac Jones is going to be a 77. I want guys who are going to be 87s and 97s. Now, there have been times where Mac Jones has had good games. There have been times where Mac Jones, it has not been his fault. I'm not going to pile on Mac Jones just for the sake of piling. I like Mac Jones's leadership skills in a lot of cases. I like the way that Mac Jones is wired from the neck up in a lot of cases. I can like those things without thinking Mac Jones is a franchise quarterback. Mac Jones is not a guy I want to pay $40 million a year to. I've been saying that forever also. I'm, but I'm not going to bag on Mac Jones just for the sake of bagging on him. When he does something well, I'm going to tell you. But by and large, my overarching thought is my overarching thought. He's not a great athlete. He's not mobile. He doesn't have a great arm. He has stubbed his toe in the leadership department, although, again, by and large, I think he's pretty good. 
Mac Jones, to me, is not a $40 million a year quarterback. I, I don't know where I've given you the impression that I love Mac Jones. Tech says Belichick didn't do right by Mac to bring in Matt Patricia. That's true, and I've said that. But I still don't think that Mac Jones is a $40 million a year quarterback. Now, Mac Jones as a rookie was better than I was expecting. With Josh McDaniels, he was better than I expected. But I never saw a $40 million a year quarterback. As a rookie, Justin Herbert, I saw $40 million a year. Joe Burrow, I saw $40 million a year. I've never said that about Mac Jones, and I've never seen that with Mac Jones. Um, Real quick, Derek Carr has signed, by the way, with the New Orleans Saints. That came out a little while ago. It's a four-year deal, but the thing that matters mainly is two years and $70 million. So, And that's interesting because earlier in the day, we heard that Carr was kind of leaning towards the Jets, but he ends up signing in New Orleans. Good for the Saints. Like, the New Orleans Saints now are clearly the NFC South favorites. Clearly. No team in that division has a quarterback. The Saints have one. They are now the favorites. They have just catapulted in, as far as I'm concerned, to playoff position. It's that simple. Good for Derek Carr. He goes to a winnable division, a team that's won before. He goes to the worst conference. Uh, Derek Carr came out a huge winner in all this. And, in a funny way, this is the nightmare scenario for the Jets, is it not? The Jets lost Derek Carr. They very well may lose Aaron Rodgers. And then their options are completely dwindled. Like, Aaron Rodgers might retire, might go to the Raiders, might stay in Green Bay. The Jets have lost leverage with Rodgers and the Packers. They've lost Carr. And they're left with what? Jimmy Garoppolo, and then the Baker Mayfields of the world. And as a Jets hater, as a Patriots fan, I love to see that. This this is this could not be worse for the Jets. No car, no leverage with Rodgers. Good stuff if you're a Patriots fan who likes to bask in the Jets' misery. It is the Brady Farkas Show presented by Fecto Homes here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Uh, another text comes in. Travis says... If Mac Jones takes big strides forward, he will be a $40 million quarterback in the NFL. I am not going to be the guy who pays Mac Jones. I'm not. It's that simple. I cannot be the guy who pays Mac Jones $40 million a year. Somebody will. I will not. I'm telling you right now. like He better get awesome for me to be paying him $40 million a year. This can't be like Daniel Jones was uh, it was pretty good. No, he's going to have to be like MVP caliber for me to be paying him $40 million a year. It's not going to happen for me. UVM men's basketball off to the America East semifinals. They rolled over NJIT in the quarterfinals on Saturday night. I was there at Patrick Gym. I'll tell you my takeaways and tell you about an interesting meeting that I had at Patrick Gym on Saturday night. That's next here on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. 
Welcome back in. Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV presented by Fecto Homes. Uh, one more football-related text here on the Napa-Morrisville-Napa-Waterbury text line. Uh, this one comes from Mark in South Burlington. Brady, you like Jimmy Garoppolo for the Raiders, but how would you feel if he ended up on the Jets? I would not like it as much. And it's pretty simple. Jimmy Garoppolo with the Raiders is their plan B, and he has the connection with Josh McDaniels, which makes sense. Jimmy Garoppolo with the Jets is very much your plan C. So if I were a Jets fan, I would not like the idea of Jimmy Garoppolo coming to me because I struck out on Derek Carr and Aaron Rodgers in that case. That would not be good. I think he could be reasonably successful in both places, but the Raiders have certainly more offensively for him to work with. I think Jimmy Garoppolo will be better in in Vegas than he would be in New York. Um, uh, Zach Cox, Patriots insider over at Nesson, will be with us in the 6 o'clock hour at about 6.05. UVM men's basketball rolling over NJIT Saturday night in the America East quarterfinals. Final score was 84-57. to 57. We, uh, The Catamounts will take on Binghamton in the semifinals tomorrow. It'll be the second consecutive year, I think three times in the last five years, that UVM has taken on Binghamton in the semifinals. And look, the Saturday night game, UVM wins it by 27 I know it was a one seed versus an eight seed. I know we expect UVM to win that game comfortably. But still, even with your expectations, that was a dominant performance on Saturday night. I was there. NJIT came out early and played well. They kept it close. It was like 15-15 at one point. But then UVM just rolled and coasted the rest of the way. And that's typically how these games go. I'm not really surprised beginning of the game lower seed comes in thinking about march madness trying to pull an upset they hit a couple of tough shots and then ultimately they fold that's exactly what happened from the time it was 15 15 uvm absolutely dominated three players in double figures dylan penn led the way with 23 deloney had 16 he was excellent first half here at home deloney bounces back to Verreto, back to deloney catch and release three that's good I tell you, that's why not once, but twice, he's the sixth man of the year. I mean, Deloney goes six for 11 from the floor. Matt Verretto had 12. Catamounts hit 11 threes in the victory. They out-rebounded the Highlanders by 12. They had more than a 2-to-1 assist-to-turnover ratio. It was just a very complete effort by UVM. That's that simple, really. It was a complete effort. That's how you get 27-point victories. You play good defense. You rebound. You hit shots. You hit free throws. I think UVM was 9 of 10 at the line. Everything UVM needed to do for the most part on Saturday night, they did. And I came away once again, as I have been many times this year, impressed by Dylan Penn. He just now looks completely comfortable in this offense. Right? He looks completely comfortable. He had everything working again on Saturday. 23 points, 10 of 14 from the floor. He is just an efficient offensive player. And you know what I really love about his game? In addition to his efficiency, Dylan Penn knows what and who he is, and he doesn't try to be something he's not. Self-awareness is one of my favorite qualities in athletes, and so many athletes don't have self-awareness that when you do have it, it really sticks out to me as a positive. Dylan Penn knows completely who he is, and is completely comfortable with who he is. We talked last week about 
we talked with Dylan Penn last week, and I asked him, I'm like, Dylan, man, you grew up in the era where three-point shooting became everything to everybody, but yet you're not a three-point shooter. How did you kind of get by playing differently than everybody else? And he just said, look, man, I don't love taking quick threes. I don't think that they're great shots. He said, I always thought it was better to get to the bucket and do what I know I can do. And I love that. He doesn't try to be something that he's not. He is quick off the dribble. He uses the dribble. Quick first step, gets by his defender. He's a physical player. He can jump. He can he can create mismatches. He gets to the rim, and when he does that, he is a problem. He has the first step to get by somebody. He has the, the physicality to go up with somebody. He has not tried to change his game in order to keep up with the Joneses. I love that. Self-aware, finishes with both hands, finishes at the rim. He is now, and he's been this for a little while, but he is now the player that we were told that he was. He is now the player that we expected to be getting when we talked about him all the way back in the summer, all the way back in October before practice started. He is that guy. It took him a little while to get comfortable. took him a while early on in the season to get healthy, but he is that guy, and he is everything that this team needs offensively. Penn was excellent. Deloney was excellent. As I said for weeks, when he plays like this, this is a different team. He was efficient as well. 6 of 11 from the floor. Hit a couple of threes. He was a good and willing passer. And the thing I've noticed most about Deloney is I love the confidence that he's playing with. Aaron Deloney is playing with a lot of confidence, and he's playing very, very decisive. I'm not saying this was him early in the year, but usually when, when guards who are scorers are not confident, what do they do? They float around the perimeter. They just want to catch and shoot. I don't want to dribble the ball. I don't want I don't I want to be kind of as involved as little as possible. Just let me stand in the perimeter, catch and shoot. I don't know that that was Deloney earlier in the year, but right now, I can tell you he is he is being a do everything guard. He's coming off screens, he's shooting confidently. He's handling the ball, he's shooting well off the dribble. He's handling the ball, coming off screens, and kicking to teammates. He's decisive when he wants to shoot. He's decisive when he wants to pass. He's decisive when he wants to go to the bucket. He's playing with speed. He's playing with agility. He's playing with first step, physicality. Aaron Deloney, this is what he can bring to the table. And when he is doing this, this team is so much better. He wants the ball in his hands. He's not shying away from it. He is, again, he's being quick. He is being decisive with it. Deloney was excellent on Saturday, and they're going to need him to be excellent tomorrow. This Binghamton team is a good defensive team. They can create some problems for UVM defensively. They did create problems for UVM defensively a couple of weeks ago with Patrick Jim. Right? They're not going to roll in tomorrow and just win by 27 just because it says Vermont across their chest. If Deloney plays like this, if Penn plays like this, that will help. But they're going to need good time, good performances out of those guys again. The one negative, the one negative from Saturday night is that Finn Sullivan had two points. That I mean, that was the only negative. The conference player of the year had two points, did not hit a field goal. Now, on the on the positive, Conference Player of the Year had two points, and you still won by 27. That's pretty darn good. 
on the negative, you're going to need Finn Sullivan to score in this tournament. Right? Binghamton's good defensively. They are going to be able to create some havoc for you. You're going to know, you're going to have to know that you can count on Finn Sullivan offensively in the way you have the entirety of the season. Finn Sullivan has been great offensively. That's why he won Conference Player of the Year. But he's going to have to put up more than two points if you want to win tomorrow night and if you want to win the America East title on Saturday. So I'm glad that the Cats can win when Finn Sullivan or somebody doesn't have a big game. They have guys that can pick you up. But they're going to need Finn Sullivan to be Finn Sullivan. And he's going to have a chance to do that starting tomorrow. Uh, I did... I did get a chance to meet Finn Sullivan yesterday for the very first time. And I've actually never met him. We, we've had him on the show, but I've never met him in person. I was walking out of Patrick Jim yesterday, and Finn was coming in, and he actually approached me. He said, hey, Brady, very nice to meet you. I said, Finn, very nice to meet you. Congratulations on the award. And Dylan Penn was with him. I said, hey, nice to meet you. Thanks for coming on the show this week. And uh, two very, very pleasant guys. was really happy to meet them in person and uh, have enjoyed having both of them on the show and certainly enjoy watching them play. The more interesting meeting, though, for me this week was when I met Nick Fiorillo's dad. And I got to tell you, I was a bit nervous. Now, Nick Fiorillo's dad was awesome. But I got to tell you, I was a bit nervous. So I'm sitting on press row. Maybe it's the game's at 7. It might be like 640. So people are piling in. And a guy comes up to me. And he taps me on the shoulder, and he looks at me, and he goes, Are you Brady Farkas? And I said, Yeah, I am. And he said, I'm Nick Fiorillo's dad. And I'm thinking, oh, boy. Because remember, I told you a couple weeks ago, I put out a tweet that said, Nick Fiorillo's, Nick Fiorillo's healthy. I'm happy that he's healthy, but I don't expect him to factor much into the playoff run. I said something, paraphrasing, like, It's not the time to play guys who haven't played in three months or trying to win a title. So I'm thinking to myself, which way is this going to go? Is he going to be defensive dad who is like, how dare you tweet that about my kid? Or is he going to be like he was? And he turned out he was a great guy. No reason for me to be nervous. But look, and I, I stand by things that I've said. And I stand on what I've said. And I'm not afraid to stand up for things I've said on the show. Like, If I'm going to talk about guys, I deserve to take something back in return. That's just the way this goes. So I didn't know which way it was going to go, though. Is Nick Fiorillo's dad going to be mad at me for what I said about his son? Or is he just going to come up and talk to me? He goes, Brady, man, look, I love what you do. You do great work. I enjoy listening to your thoughts on the team. You want the program to excel. You're rooting for these guys, and and I really appreciate you. And I appreciated that. You know, it's always nice when somebody comes up to you. But uh, I was was a little nervous at first when he said I was Nick Fiorillo's dad. I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. Which way is this going to go? Turned out it went the best way. Nick Fiorillo's dad was awesome. And uh, Nick Fiorillo has proven to be a part of this thing in a way that I said he wasn't going to be. And I'm happy for that. I'm happy that he's proved me wrong. You know, he's played 10 minutes, 12 minutes, 14 minutes. Had a, had a bucket here or there. Gotten some rebounds. Played defensively. Given some guys a blow. He has been a part of this. I said he wouldn't be. He has been. I'm glad he's proved me wrong. And I'm glad his dad came up to me and introduce himself on Saturday night. Cats in Binghamton tomorrow night. I'm going to be at that game once the show ends. It's the Brady Farkas Show brought to you by Fecto Homes here on WDEV. NFL Combine is over. 
Our friend by texting onto the Brady Farkas Show at 802 585 3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show brought to you by Fecto Homes here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Breaking news on the NFL front. My Seahawks, that's right, my Seahawks have signed quarterback Geno Smith to a three-year contract extension, $105 million. The Geno Smith story gets better, $35 million per year. The Seahawks have their guy. They also have the number five pick in the NFL draft as well. So I love the move for the Seahawks. I love the money. We were talking earlier about the Raiders and Mac Jones. There's another guy potentially off the market for Vegas. So, you know, we talked about, I thought I said I'd rather have Aaron Rodgers, Jimmy Garoppolo, Geno Smith, all of them before a potential trade for Mac Jones. Well, now Geno is off the board and there's one less option out there for a quarterback needy team like the Jets, like Vegas, the Saint, like Carolina, Tampa, so, Gino off the board. I love to move as a Seahawks fan. Three years, $105 million. Let's transition our talk from Gino Smith and from America East Basketball to the New England Patriots. The NFL Combine has wrapped up, and our guy Zach Cox, the Patriots insider over at Nesson, was there uh, over the weekend as well for the, in a couple days last week in Indy. Zach, we were just talking about uh, America East Basketball, the UVM men and the UVM women both uh, – Moving on to the tournament, sadly, your University of New Hampshire Wildcats no longer a factor in the Americas tournament. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's they're typically not a factor in the Americas basketball tournament, so that doesn't <laughs> come as uh, any significant surprise to me, unfortunately. Uh, well, you are back from Indianapolis. Uh, when you go to the Combine, what is it that you're doing? What are you looking for at the Combine? Uh, there's a lot that goes on at the Combine, other than the the on-field testing part of it. I think that's the part that most fans more most closely associate with the Combine. Uh, but it's kind of interesting when we're out there in Indianapolis, we don't even really look at or pay attention to those numbers at all. Uh, mm. In the, what, five, six Combines I've covered, I've never actually been inside Lucas Oil Stadium wow. to even watch any of those drills. Uh, a lot of it is, is really based on the, the interviews, both with the draft prospects and some of the head coaches and general managers that are there, and just otherwise being kind of in the center of the NFL ecosystem, because everybody from the NFL is in Indianapolis for this week. That's coaches, general managers, players, agents, media members, and everybody kind of sort of converges in the same couple of places. So you end up talking uh, to a lot of people that you wouldn't otherwise get a chance to uh, in another week. So that's why you see so many uh, rumors and also all the speculation and a lot of reports that come out during and after the combine, because that's a chance when media members get to talk to some of these guys that are usually uh, kind of off limits. Everybody's at the combine, everybody except Bill Belichick and most of the Patriots coaching staff. What do you make of the Pats not being particularly well represented at the combine? It kind of aligns with a, a recent shift from around the NFL. You're seeing teams more frequently in recent years uh, really de-emphasize the combine. Uh, Sean McVay, the last two years, hasn't sent any Los Angeles Rams coaches 
Uh, I believe it was the Packers who also completely sat out the combine this year. Uh, but it is notable. I mean, the, Bill Belichick always is in Indianapolis for this event. You always see him on the broadcast. That's where the uh, the famous binocular pic, uh, yeah. gift or picture came from. That was from the combine. The, the value of seeing these players in person, I think, is diminished recently, especially with so much of, of the additional data that's now available, especially from a, a player tracking perspective and all the advanced metrics that you can now have. But just the fact that Bill Belichick is almost always there and this year he was not, uh, that has to be notable. I, I don't know if it's – I probably wouldn't say it's a big deal, uh, but the people who are just saying, oh, yeah, no, this, this is this is totally standard, standard practice for Belich- Bill Belichick, uh, it's really not. So the fact that he did change up his routine uh, is something that we'll certainly be interested uh, in asking him about when we're able to talk to him next in a couple months. I can reconcile him not being there looking at prospects, but Bill Belichick is also the de facto GM. When we talk about free agency here to begin in 10 days or so, wouldn't it be important there to start having conversations with agents and getting a feel on how the market's going to be and laying the groundwork for a potential trade? We've heard about T. Higgins, DeAndre Hopkins. Wouldn't it be important to do that stuff? Seemingly, because I mentioned, yeah, so many of of those uh, deals – the, the groundwork is kind of laid in Indianapolis during this week. But Bill Belichick evidently uh, made the calculation that he can do just do that just as well uh, over the phone or in a virtual setting or, or with uh, maybe other coaches and GMs that he has a better relationship with and doesn't have to uh, kind of try to run into out in Indianapolis. So, uh, yeah, that's certainly another aspect uh, of the combine that's important to consider. And uh, I'm also, from a prospect perspective, I'd be curious to know how much of this decision was based on the fact that the Patriots had their entire coaching staff at the Shrine Bowl uh, back in in January and February, because from the people I talked to out in Indianapolis, they viewed that uh, as a very valuable scouting tool from being able to spend a whole week with those players and really run them through the exact drills that they want to run during the regular season, really get a better feel for those players than you would by kind of just meeting them in a a 20 minute, half hour combine interview Uh, other side of the coin with that. Most of the players at the shrine bowl probably won't be selected uh, in the first couple of Mm -hmm. rounds. So that's probably more of the uh, maybe third to seventh round type players uh basically outside of zay flowers from bc you're probably not going to see any shrine bowl guys drafted in the first round so pros and cons to uh to each side of that for sure zach cox pats insider and nesson with us here on the brady farkas show here on this monday the espn report came out yesterday that the raiders could possibly try to trade for mac jones it also said the pats likely weren't going to move mac but how do you view Mac from Vegas's perspective? Like, should that be a guy that they want to target in your mind? Uh, well, neither side of that report really surprised me. It doesn't didn't surprise me that Josh McDaniels would want to work with Mac Jones. Uh, again, they both really had a lot of great things to say about each other. Obviously, had a lot of success together uh, when Mac was a rookie here in New England. He was offensive rookie of the year, runner up, a pro, a pro Bowl alternate. Really put together a promising first season under Josh McDaniels, and then you saw you saw how things kind of uh, went hay- went haywire last year. So would not at all surprise me if Josh McDaniels is saying, hey, let's see if we can pry Mac away from New England since they really don't have any sort of answer at quarterback right now out in Vegas outside of Jared Stidham. But on the other side, it also would be uh, – 
I would be significantly surprised if the Patriots traded Mac Jones this offseason. Uh, I just think that I am confident that the infrastructure that they now have in place, uh, assuming that they make some of the necessary roster tweaks, especially on the offensive line, I think that this is a situation where you could see significant improvement from Mac Jones this season. I'm not saying he's necessarily going to become a, a top 10 quarterback suddenly, but I do think Bill O'Brien can get him back to at least where he was as a rookie, uh, if not a little bit higher. And I think if you get Mac back to that level, this Patriots team can have some legitimate success. So uh, I think it would be kind of a, a wasted opportunity almost to trade Mac Jones before you see how he can perform uh, in an actual real functioning offense, which just the, this team just didn't have last year. You know, the Athletic reported on Friday that the Pats coaching staff babied Mac essentially last year. And I, that doesn't really bother me, right? Like, I, I can understand holding the hand of a young player. But what's interesting is that Mac doesn't seem like the kind of personality that wants to or needs to be babied. He's talked about wanting to be coached harder. He's talked about wanting to be held accountable. So given that that's what Mac wants, why was an alternate approach taken? Yeah, it was strange. Uh, that was an odd report to see. And, and Henry McKenna from, from Fox Sports also had a similar report uh, a couple of days earlier. So it's coming from multiple different places. It was, yeah, it doesn't really align with what the, the kind of image of Mac Jones that a lot of people have and even some of his public comments. Because as you mentioned earlier this season or, or late this season, rather, he said publicly that he wants to be coached harder, uh, which could easily be read as the fact or as a, a statement that the current coaching staff was not coaching him hard enough. So yeah. uh, I don't know if that was just a, a miscalculation on the Patriots part or if that was... Uh, something that changed over the course of the season uh, or if that's what they thought that, that Mac Jones needed. Uh, but yeah, he's always seemed like the, the type of player and the type of competitor that would thrive in more of a uh, kind of Tom Brady-esque approach where he's, he's not babied. He's part of the, he, he's just like everybody else on the team. Bill Belichick's not going to treat him differently, but evidently that was not part of the um, part of the Patriots mm. approach this past year. I've, Got to imagine that will probably change with Bill O'Brien because he is considered a pretty uh, a pretty fiery guy, a pretty no-nonsense head coach. Uh, I don't think you're going to get a lot of babying out of Bill O'Brien. Uh, but, yeah, very interesting to see uh, how that treatment was described uh, because I think it came as a surprise to a lot of people, including myself. Free agency begins here in 10 days or so. Any rumblings you're hearing about the Patriots? We know Jacoby Myers likely to test free agency. Anything you're hearing about uh, how much money they plan to spend and where they plan to spend it? Yeah, Jacoby Myers is obviously the the kind of big domino here for the Patriots. It doesn't sound like he's going to re-sign before free agency at this point, which I don't think should really surprise anybody. If, if you get this close, especially as an undrafted free agent type player, uh, who really hasn't made significant NFL-type money in his career, uh, it would make sense for him to go out there and, and see what's out for him. Uh, I believe there was a port report just uh, a couple hours ago from Mike Giardi over, over at NFL Network that the Patriots uh, at this point are going to kind of take a uh, go out there and see what you can get and then come back to us and we'll see if we want a match type approach. They've done that in the past with some of their internal free agents. Sometimes that leads to them being able to re-sign a guy. Sometimes they say, Ah, sorry, thanks, but no thanks. We love you as a player, but we're not going to match that number. So uh, I think that's going to be uh, the most significant piece going out there for the Patriots, but certainly not the only significant piece because they also have Jonathan Jones, their top cornerback, who's going to be a free agent. 
they have players like like Damian Harris and Jabril Peppers and Devin McCourty. We still don't know what he's going to do from a retirement standpoint. Uh, and then the Patriots have to go out and do something at offensive tackle. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they were in uh, on some of those maybe not the Orlando Brown level offensive tackles, but a, a Mike McGlinchey or a Joan Taylor or somebody in that second tier, I guess, because that's to me the biggest hole on this team that they still need to fill. Well, we'll continue to monitor it as well. Zach Cox back from the NFL combine Pat's insider over at Nesson. Zach, we appreciate it as always. And uh, we'll catch up with you again later this summer. Absolutely. Thanks Brady. Thank you very much. Zach Cox, our Pat's insider and our friend, over at Nesson. Good stuff there. Uh, Patriots rumored to be in the mix for DeAndre Hopkins in a trade. Uh, that's something we've talked a little bit about on this show, but uh, reports are that at the Combine there were just discussions about a Hopkins trade and maybe the Patriots fit in there. I did like what Zach had to say. I agree. Bill Belichick not being there is notable. Now, I seem to think it's a bigger deal than Zach does, but he noted like it is a deal. For those of you who said, eh, no big deal, the media is making it up. The media is out to get the Patriots. No. Bill Belichick not going to the combine is a big deal. Um, not being able to be a part of those conversations, not being able to be a part of the groundwork being laid, that is a big deal. 100% it's a big deal. And uh, it should be taken as such. I still can't get past this whole Mac Jones having to be baby thing. We talked about this on Friday. I thought about it all weekend. I don't get it. It makes sense to coddle a young player. Right? It does. It makes sense to coddle a young player. What doesn't make sense is that Mac Jones is not a guy that likes to be coddled. So I don't know why the Patriots felt the need to. That's what I don't get. Right? If a young quarterback is struggling, I get not piling on. I get trying to teach rather than just berate. But Mac Jones has a way he likes to be coached, and it's up to the Patriots coaching staff to coach him in that way, a way that he needs, but also a way that he likes. So why did they feel the need to pull back the reins? That that I don't get. That I don't understand. And Mac said, like, I want to be coached hard, and the Patriots weren't doing that for him. Speaking of Mac Jones, that's where I want to go for our who's saying what today. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? What is he doing? He's stealing money. What the hell is he doing? He should have gotten the surgery. They were out of it in August. Why did they get the surgery done in August? They could have played beginning of the year. Preach it. That's a joke with him. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race, and I'm losing my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Who's saying what today sticks on Mac Jones? This one is from a few days ago. Nick Stevens of WEEI in Boston is tired of talking about Mac Jones. Mac Jones, beloved by his teammates. I just, I have such massive Mac Jones fatigue already. It's unbelievable. It's not even, we're recording this in the final day of, what, second to last day, final day of February 2023, and already like, enough! Just either get rid of him. Or give him a chance to play the season. Everyone shut up. Well, just because I just want to be done with it. I obviously, and you know, I'm far from a Mac stand, but I believe you need to give Mac Jones a full season to figure out since you spent the damn first round pick on him. Can he excel? I believe he can. He can be a top 12 quarterback with this coordinator, with better weaponry and talent around him. Look, so Nick Stevens is tired of the Mac Jones conversation. I am sorry that you are tired of the Mac Jones conversation, but Mac Jones is the quarterback of the New England Patriots. 
He is a talking point, and he will remain a talking point, and he will be a talking point almost every day from a bunch of different angles. Now, I agree. Sometimes it does get a little much, and I try to not beat a dead horse. I try to not overdo it. But the guy is a storyline, and he will remain a storyline. The Patriots have brought in a new offensive coordinator for the sake of trying to get the best out of Mac Jones. The team should be attacking free agency with the idea of getting the most out of Mac Jones. The team should be attacking the draft with the idea of how to get the most out of Mac Jones. Every single thing the Patriots do this offseason season should center on the notion of getting Mac Jones better. And with that, there is a lot to talk about. There is. Okay, who should they sign? Who should they let go? How much money should they have available? Who can they get for that money? Should they retain Jacoby Myers? That's a security blanket for Mac Jones. Who should they draft? Should they trade back? Should they trade up? What Should they draft a receiver in the first round? Does Mac need a better offensive line? How many offensive linemen? What, there's a lot to talk about. If everything about the Patriots offseason is centered on getting Mac Jones better, there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot of different angles to talk about. And I'm sorry, Nick Stevens, if you don't like that, then don't be in the business. Seriously, you're in talk radio. That's what the business is, talking about angles. And sometimes it's the different angles to the same story. That's just the way that this is. This is an everyday business. We don't get to take six months off and come back in September and say, oh, well, I guess Mac Jones is good now. Like, we don't get to do that. We don't. The Mac Jones story is incomplete. I agree with you. But we don't get to wait until it's completed. We don't just get to wait and see how he played under Bill O'Brien before we make a determination. There is, there is going to be six months worth of days up until we find out how Mac Jones is under Bill O'Brien. We're gonna, there's going to be things to talk about. You don't just get to take six months off. That's not how this works. And you know what? I've learned that about the business. Let me tell you a, a story. One of my first days in Albany, I was producing the afternoon show. The afternoon show was four hours. There was three, there were four segments an hour for four hours. So there were 16 segments in the show. And like eight of the segments were about the New York Knicks. And I said to myself, man, why on earth are you talking about the Knicks so much? This is horrible. And I was, and I just didn't get it. And then as the show went on, I realized, okay, they are talking about the Knicks. But they're talking about the Knicks in like eight different ways. So... Somebody who's heard the whole show got a whole lot of Knicks talk, but they heard it every possible thing they could want to. And somebody who just heard the show once heard a little bit of Knicks talk and got a little bit smarter. Okay, topic one was about did they win or lose. Topic two was why. Topic three was about Carmelo Anthony and how he played. Topic four was about Phil Jackson and how he's running the team. Whatever. Jeff Hornacek was head coach, I think, at the time. Like, that's what the that's what you do in this business. So... Like, Nick Stevens, we're going to talk about Mac Jones. The challenge is try to find a different way to do it. Try to find a different way than the rest of the shows on your station or the rest of the shows out there. Okay, you don't want to talk about Mac Jones? 
Talk about what Bill O'Brien can do for Mac Jones. Get a guest on to talk about him. Talk about a receiver they can go after in free agency. Talk about a receiver they can go after in the draft. Talk about a guy they can trade for. Talk about the line. Talk about. There's a lot of different ways you could talk about Mac Jones without talking about the exact same thing. I mean, Tex says, you told me, uh, Jack says, Jack was our old intern. He says, you told me the same thing when I was an intern. I love it. And uh, other texter says, I love it. Awesome. I don't know what you guys love. What, that I said don't be in the business if you don't like it? Or, I mean, it's tr- it's just the truth. Right? It's just the truth. Like, this is an everyday business. We don't get to take six months off. Okay? Trust me. If I could get paid the same amount of dollars and not have to work from now until September 10th when the season starts or whatever, I would do it. But I can't. You have to find things to talk about. You have to find things that are talk about that are interesting. And Mac Jones is the quarterback of the Patriots. He's going to be interesting. That's how this works. That is how this works. And so when Nick says, oh, I'm tired of talking about Mac. Yeah, but that's the business. It's the Brady Farkas Show presented by Fecto Homes here on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Scary moment for the Boston Red Sox today. We'll tell you what happened at spring training. That's next on DEV. Ready to hear your opinion on the sports stories of the day? Text in at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas. Show brought to you by Fecto Homes here on WDEV. I'm going to get to this Red Sox scary story here in a moment, but uh, text comes in on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. Joe says, Brady, what do you think about the Seahawks giving Geno Smith a three-year, $105 million deal? It seems crazy. He's good, not that good. I love it. And I'm going to go deep down the quarterback philosophy wormhole here for a second. I love the deal, right? I like Geno. I'm happy he got paid. I like him for the Seahawks. I think he is good. And I do think that, you know, the quarterback market is insane. And I think the Seahawks got a generally fair deal for a very good quarterback, right? Derek Carr got $37 million a year. Geno is getting less than that. Daniel Jones is going to get more than that. I think Geno is better than Daniel Jones. So I think the Seahawks actually saved some money. Two, the deal is very front-loaded. It appears that Geno can make a whole lot of money in year one and then is probably pretty easy to move on from in year two or three if he's bad or if they have a younger option, if they draft somebody, whatever. So I love the deal. The other thing is you have to understand that I feel differently about the Seahawks and their situation than I do the Patriots and theirs. And what I mean is this. I am a diehard Seahawks fan, right? You know that at my core. The Seahawks have won a title in my life, and they won a title a decade ago. So it wasn't yesterday, but I am still living off that title. I do not require the Seahawks to win a title every single year. I don't. So what I am rooting for with the Seahawks is I want the Seahawks to be pretty good and I want them to be playoff good, and I want them to be watchable. Gino makes them that. 
I am fully aware that by signing Geno to a $35 million a year deal, the Seahawks likely are not going to be able to build a championship roster. I am telling you that for my favorite team, I am okay with that. Right? $35 million a year a quarterback, they are going to not have something else I wish they did. They're going to struggle on the line. They're going to struggle at defensive tackle, defensive back. Somewhere in there, they are going to be shorted. But because I think that Geno is good enough and the rest of the roster is good enough, I think they will be watchable for an 18-week season. I think they will have a chance to make the playoffs, and that will make me happy that a four-month investment will have been worth my time. I do not require the Seahawks to win the title every year. I don't. With the Patriots, that's not good enough for me. The Patriots are a team that is built on winning championships. The Patriots are not a team that's built on just being watchable. You, okay, you have a different expectation of the Patriots than I have of the Seahawks. You expect the the Patriots to be in the mix for a title. So, therefore, I give you moves and opinion based on the Patriots being title worthy, not just being watchable, right? That's why I don't want to pay Mac Jones $40 million in a couple of years. Because I know that once the Patriots pay Mac Jones $40 million a year, they will not be able to build a championship roster. They might be watchable, but they're not going to be championship. And for the Patriots, that's not good enough. For the Seahawks and me, that is good enough right now. Maybe in five years it won't be because I'll be done living off the championship from 2013. But for right now, I am okay with the Seahawks just having a chance. Be watchable. Make my time worth it. The hassle it is to try to stream games or buy the Red Zone channel. Make all that worth it. To go out to bars to watch games, make it worth it. For me, that's good enough right now. Win 10 games, go 10-7, and get to the playoffs, give yourself a chance to do something magical. For the Patriots, I don't want that because I know you don't want that. You're used to winning titles. I want the Patriots to win titles because that's what they're known for. That's what they should be doing. And this deal, for if Mac Jones got a deal for $35, $40, $45 million a year, I would be against it because I know – that the minute the Patriots do that, they are screwed somewhere else. And Mac Jones is not good enough to make $40 million a year. He's not. Not right now. So I have different expectations for my favorite team versus the team that I cover. 802-585-3026. Yeah, so I think the Seahawks did a good thing in locking up Geno Smith. I do. But I recognize that they could fall victim to the Kirk Cousins syndrome, where you are good, but you're not good enough. I recognize they could fall victim to the Jared Goff syndrome in Los Angeles, where you are good, you're not good enough. And that is okay for me as a fan. But for the Patriots, that's not good enough. Texter says, tomorrow's town meeting day, get out there and vote. Okay, thank you for the PSA. I, I mean, all right. I hope you all go out and vote. I will be here. So we'll be on the air until 7 tomorrow. That's for sure. Um, all right. Let me get to this scary scene today. 
at Red Sox spring training. I don't know if you saw this because I don't know how many of you are watching Red Sox spring training. But the Red Sox were playing the Tigers today. And the game was at 1 o'clock. And one of the scariest things that can happen on a baseball field happened. Justin Turner was hit by a pitch in the face. Not hit in the shoulder. Not hit in the back. Not hit in the backside. Not even hit in the head. Justin Turner was hit by a baseball in the face. He went down. He immediately started gushing blood. He walked off the field under his own power, but he walked off with towels covering his face completely. He was taken by hospital or taken by ambulance to a local hospital. His wife just put out on Twitter, he's got 16 stitches. 16 stitches. Said there's no fractures or anything, which is an amazingly, which is an abundantly good piece of news. It was scary, and that is among the scariest things that can happen on the baseball field. 16 stitches sounds horrible, and I don't want to speculate. I don't know if we're talking about his lip, his cheek, whatever, but 16 stitches in your face sounds horrible. I hope that Justin Turner is okay. I hope that he's okay soon. But having a 90-plus mile-an-hour projectile hit you in the face is absolutely horrifying. The scariest thing that can happen on the baseball field is somebody getting hit in the head or somebody getting hit in the face. A batter getting hit by a pitch or a pitcher getting hit by a line drive. Those are the two worst things to me that can happen on a baseball field. And we saw it today and we saw it live and we saw it in real time. I mean, Justin Turner getting hit in the face, gushing blood, and now we know 16 stitches. That is terrifyingly scary stuff. I don't know if that means an injured list stint. I don't know if that means he'll be ready in three days, in a week, in a month. I have no idea. We don't need to go down that road just yet. But I'm glad that Justin Turner doesn't have a concussion. I'm glad he doesn't have any broken bones in his face because that was terrifying. And I feel bad for Matt Manning also to be the pitcher in that scenario is no fun either. Now, I've never had a scenario like that, and I didn't throw hard enough to go and really hurt somebody, but I can only imagine what it's like to be a pitcher who has caused real physical damage that you can tangibly see in front of you. And I saw in the next pitch, Manning made sure he threw it way outside, clearly thinking about it, clearly shaken by it. And Manning didn't get out of the first inning. I'm sure he didn't stop thinking about it through the rest of the inning. Not not a good scenario, not a good situation. I'm glad Turner walked off. I'm glad his wife has delivered a relatively good report. She says 16 stitches and a lot of swelling, but we are thankful. No fractures and clear scans. I mean, that is about as good a news as you could hope for, and that just came in moments ago. It's just a uh, just a just a terrifying situation. Um, Baseball right now is not the most important thing in this, right? Like the first thing is just, is Justin Turner okay? But now that we know that he is doing all right, it is fair now to wonder about the baseball side of things. This kind of, this kind of, this kind of underscores something we've been hearing 
all along. Buster Olney of ESPN has been with us a bunch of times and said that uh, Justin Turner here. Here's Buster. This was back on March 1st. This was just last week. For this Red Sox team this year, with how the, the lineup feels thin in the bottom half, it's going to be absolutely essential that you know that they get 140 games out of Justin Turner. I mean, this team cannot afford to lose Justin Turner for really any stretch of time, whether it's this injury or any other injury. He really is vital to the 2023 Red Sox. Clubhouse guy, true leader on this team. We've talked about this team having better leadership and better vibes. Turner is a huge part of that. They need him to be a run producer. He's basically a replacement for J.D. Martinez. They need him in the middle of that order to be a run producer. He allows them to split up Devers and Yoshida. He's a right-handed bat. They lost Bogarts. They lost Vasquez. They lost J.D. They need a right-handed bat. He can play first base. He can be the D.H. He is critical to this team. He's absolutely critical to this team, and I don't want to see him. Uh, I don't want to see him, you know, out for any stretch of time. And I certainly don't want to see what happened. What happened today? Tex says not to make light of Turner getting hit, but NHL players take pucks from 90 plus mile an hour slap shots to the face. They get stitched up and don't miss a shift. I guess hockey players are a different breed. Yes, hockey players are a different breed. And I'm really trying to think of a hockey player that I've seen get hit by a puck in the face and just have nothing happen. I remember Zdeno Chara. Remember this back in 2018 or whatever? Chara had to get his jaw wired shut for the Bruins. I don't remember if it was because of a puck or a check or what, but Chara got his puck, got his mouth wired shut and ended up still playing in the uh, in the Stanley Cup Finals, as I recall. So... Against uh, that against St. Louis, I mean, it, uh, yes, hockey players are a rare breed. That doesn't mean that that a baseball hitting you in the face at 90 miles an hour is is enjoyable, and it really is the most scary thing you can see on a field, as far as I'm concerned. That and a pitcher getting hit in the head with a line drive. If you want a good piece of information on the Red Sox game today, Chris Sale started. I wasn't watching closely because I was too busy trying to figure out about Turner at the time, but. 31 pitches, 24 strikes, had a couple of strikeouts, 95 miles an hour he hit. I did see him throw a couple of really good change-ups. It was about as optimistic as you could be for your first start since last July or whatever. I mean, the Red Sox are going to need Chris Sale. Their rotation is teetering on a, as a house of cards. Whitlock still not pitching yet. Paxton's not going to be ready for opening day with the hamstring injury. Bayo's set back because of the arm injury. Kluber and Pavetta have concerns of their own. So this is a Weebles, Wobbles, House of Cards rotation. They're counting on Chris Sale in a way I wish they didn't have to count on him. But two winnings today, 95 miles an hour. Pretty darn good start there for the Red Sox lefty. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. When we come back, little women's sports NCAA action. Well, a little conversation, I should say. The Norwich University women's hockey team headed to the NCAA tournament. Their head coach, Sophie LeClaire, stops by for a few minutes. And I was at the UVM women's basketball game over the weekend as well. They're headed to the America East Conference Finals. I'll tell you my biggest takeaways from their contest. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. Brady Farkas Show now has an interactive text line. So reach out now at 802-585-3026.
Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Congratulations in order for the Norwich University women's hockey team. The cadets make the NCAA tournament. They win the New England Hockey Conference Championship, beating Elmira over the weekend. The men also get to the tournament at large bid. They'll take on Plattsburgh on Saturday night. We have a few minutes here with Sophie LeClaire, who is the head coach of the Norwich University women's hockey teams. Sophie, appreciate you making some time for us today. Your team got beat by Elmira twice in the regular season. Twice in the regular season. You get the win on Saturday when it matters most. How'd you do it? Yeah, it was uh, it was a blast, first of all. Obviously, um, that's an easy one for our team to, to get up for, if you will. Um, you know, just a short road trip across 90 in lovely upstate New York to get you fired up. Um, in one of the most unique arenas, probably in, in college hockey, in the domes. Um, and it was awesome. I think, um, for lack of better words, zero expectations and focusing, um, on us, you know, and, and forget about the outcomes and, and, and play our game. Um, and honestly, this is such a cool rivalry. I think it's going to be uh, pretty awesome for several years to come with them, uh, joining our league this year. It, it, it adds a, a different spice for sure throughout the year with a couple a couple awesome games and then knowing at the end that you know you hopefully will will face off again um it was just it was back and forth and man our, our goal our goaltender uh definitely helped us squeak that one out so uh pretty pretty happy with it you know i don't want to be the guy who who downplays your great season but this is a bit of an atypical season for Norwich right you guys went 19 7 and 2 we've been accustomed and spoiled to 23 and 3 kind of seasons here so just let me ask you how different was this team the adversity that you faced in order to get to this point because it wasn't as easy in quotes as it's been in the past yeah thanks for bringing that up Brady (laughs) um yeah it's good uh no it's been um it was a little bit by design I mean Elmira joining our league certainly um, you know, creates that that 50-50 chance, right, as far as uh, and going in a game and not, not really expecting, um, again, anything. You don't know what you're going to expect on the other side. With that said, also tried to purposefully give, um, give ourselves one of the most challenging schedules this year um, that we've had, you know, from when I can remember. So um, purposefully designed to kind of um, hopefully build some calluses throughout the year to prepare us for the postseason, prepare us for, um, you know, some back-to-back challenging games. And throughout the year, definitely battled some some injuries. We have, um, we got some some long-term um, injuries that are kind of hanging around, but just, just asking the team to kind of fight through it. And um, again, just building those calluses and, and preparing ourselves for, uh, you know, these one game, you know, do or die, win or go home situations. So feeling, feeling pretty good about, you know, the rear view mirror and, and preparing for what's in front of us. Midweek game against Colby to kick off the tournament for your team. Uh, quick turnaround. What's it like here preparation wise with that quick turnaround? Yeah, we uh, we knew it might be a quick one, and it, it certainly is uh, is living up to it right now. It felt like we just got back. Um, from again that beautiful road trip home 
um, from Elmira and then had to quickly turn around and, and hit that reset button. But I think um, at this point in the year, it's kind of it's kind of part of the fun. You know, it didn't even really matter who showed up um, on the screen during the selection show. It was just um, just kind of the team's excited hmm. and ready to go. Well, the cadets will take on Colby. That game will be Wednesday at seven. And if they win, they'll be on to the second round. Sophie LeClaire, Norwich University women's hockey coach with us here on the Brady Farkas show brought to you by Fecto Homes. So again, we had to let her go. Uh, she's a lot of logistical stuff, a lot of meetings, a lot of practice, film watching, et cetera. So we appreciate Sophie making some time for us and wish her team the best of luck. I also want to congratulate the University of Vermont women's basketball team headed to the America East Conference Final. They will play against Albany on Friday, and uh, that will be a uh, 5 p.m. start at Patrick Gym. It's, the, the schedule there is dictated to the school's by television so the game will air nationally on espnu i gotta tell you sunday's semifinal game yesterday against umbc was a really fun game to be a part of and this run that the uvm women are on this is electric and i'm telling you if you are not someone that's inclined to like women's basketball or some not maybe not inclined but someone who hasn't watched women's basketball get on board with this because this is really fun. And the reason why it's really fun is because it's new and it's fresh. And this team is going through this for the first time, this coaching staff for the first time, this program for the first time in a long time, this fan base for the first time. And whenever you're doing something for the first time, it really can't be replicated. So get on board and enjoy what this team is doing because they deserve your support. They are a lot of fun. And yesterday's game was a lot of fun. Look, I've seen a lot of teams get to the NCAA tournament, right? When I worked at Albany, I saw three men's teams get to the tournament. I think I saw three women's teams get to the tournament, or maybe it was two men and three women. But I've seen a lot of winning when I was at Albany. And here I've seen, what, three UVM men's teams get to the tournament. So I'm used to seeing teams go through this journey. But this one hits differently because this team, again, is doing it for the first time. You can see these players They've won 16 games in a row. This is this hasn't been expected. They've been building to this, but nobody expects to win 16 games in a row. They're fun. They have style. They play for each other. They believe in each other. And look, I've watched a lot of games on TV this year, but last yesterday was actually the first game I've been to in person. By being there in person, you can appreciate it on a whole different level. This team likes each other. They're built for this. They've been through adversity, whether it was this year or in the years prior. They're calloused over, as Sophie LeClaire says. And they're and they're here, and they're taking the league by storm, and they're really fun. They're fun in a lot of different ways. Emma Utterback is really fast. She's an electric athlete. She gets up and down the floor fast. Catherine Gillowee has a smoothness to her game. A calmness to her game. Delaney Richardson is a is a a post player's body, but has the ability to play on the perimeter, and that's fun. And Anna Olson, just an array of post moves down low. This is a fun team, and they're really really good. And Bella Vito uh, had eight rebounds yesterday. And Elisa Kresge said, "What she does for us is invaluable." Get on board, and look if you can. Go to the title game. I can't on Friday. I wish I could. I'm going to be doing this show on Friday. I wish I could go to the title game. Go in my stead because they deserve your support, and uh, it certainly will be a fun one. I'll have more on the UVM women's basketball team 
Tomorrow, I'll have more on the UVM men's basketball team tomorrow as well. We'll talk with Coach Brennan. Ryan Schneider, the associate head coach, is going to stop by tomorrow as well. So two UVM men's hoops-related interviews and more thoughts on the UVM women. It is tournament time, people, in the conference and almost NCAA tournament time. I can't wait for it. Go download the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and WDEVradio.com. And then you can also uh, check out all of our interviews there as well, including our interview with uh, Zach Cox, the Patriots insider over at Nessent. Jazz with George Thomas is coming up next. And then the Division II Boys Basketball Semi, Spalding and Montpelier with our coverage beginning at 8. We had a listener call in a little while ago and say they loved the show. Thank you. Thanks to everybody who texted in. Also, I'll be back at it tomorrow for another full show here on WDE.